Well, welcome, guys. Good to be with you. Welcome to our ministry leaders training. Um, I see, I can see you on YouTube. I can't see you. I can see that you're logged in and watching. So great to have you with us on the live stream. Um, some more folks may trickle in. Welcome. Um, everybody got uh, the white sheet of notes and the blue prayer guide? Everybody got that? Okay. I can tell by the blank looks on your faces that you do. Um, now, we try to gather every fall and every spring with our key ministry leaders, elders, deacons, life group facilitators, youth leaders, men's and women's ministry leaders, children's team leaders, anybody else from a ministry team that I've missed. And, of course, your spouses. I know at times spouses are not uh, serving directly on a ministry team, but you guys are a crucial part um, of our ministry and our service to the church. And so we always include spouses in our ministry leaders training as well um, so they can get connected and, and be on the same page. Um, again, you should have the outline and the blue prayer guide. Uh, for those of you guys at home, you, that is available on the website. So you can go to the worship services page or go to the events page and click on the ministry leaders training. And you can either uh, download and print off the PDF or just pull it up on your phone. Uh, so there's uh, two things. One of them is the outline of our sessions tonight. And the other one is a, is a, um, a booklet uh, prayer guide. So those are both available. So our title tonight is Ministry in COVID-19. Um, we've obviously faced many, many challenges this year, and, and I feel like um, in small town, rural, suburban, southern York County, in some ways we're seeing a degree of normalcy, but I know pastors of churches that still have not had a single in-person anything since, you know, March. And so... Um, we are returning to some degree to normalcy, but there's still many struggles, and many of us are still out of routines. Much of life is still out of sorts. And so we wanted to just take a moment tonight, and rather than kind of just rush back to normal, to, to say, let's, let's pause, let's look back at 2020, um, let's see what's happened, what we've learned, how can we move ahead, um, not trying to just go back to where we were, but move ahead stronger, growing and adjusting given, you know, what we faced and given the new reality. Um, so we're calling this ministry mission in COVID-19, but I sort of thought, Matt, maybe we should have called it ministry mission in 2020. Because there's just so much that we faced, COVID, uh, but the, the racial uh, justice issues and the urban upheaval and, and, of course, the politics and the election. I feel like it's all just sort of lumped together in one difficult year. And so we want to we look, um, how do we do ministry? How do we do mission in light of those things? Our hope tonight is to give us some perspective. Uh, to give us some encouragement and also to give us some, some practical tools. So we're going to talk um, about relational discipleship and relational evangelism. How do we, in the midst of what we face, continue to disciple people? How do we continue to live on mission and, and share the gospel? So I'm going to open us up. Pastor Matt's going to talk about relational discipleship. Chris Rep is going to talk about relational evangelism. We'll have some time for discussion, uh, some time to stretch your legs, and uh, that's where we're at. Let me pray. God, we thank you for all of our key ministry leaders. Father, so thankful for this core of people that are not just on the fringes of living hope, but are invested and committed, that are serving uh, the church, various ministries, our life groups, the youth, the children, the men, the women. I pray that tonight uh, we would grow in just looking at some 
some bigger perspective, we'd be encouraged, then we would get some practical tools for what it is to continue the ministry, to continue on mission, and, and try to learn some things from all that we've faced this year. So we just pray these things in the name of Jesus. Ask you to bless our time. Amen. So, you see there on your outline, we're going to start just by looking at some obstacles, right? And so we faced some obstacles here in 2020 um, in the midst of, of all that we've been trying to do with family, with work, with church life. There's been lots of things that have gotten in our way. Um, we've brainstormed a few here. You can certainly add your own obstacles that don't fit into one of these categories. But one of the things that we've seen in the last, uh, you know, eight, nine, ten months is just disagreement, Right. And again, whether it's COVID, if you want to look more broadly at, at some of the racial issues we've faced in politics, but, but even specifically just with what we face with this pandemic, there's varying personal approaches to coronavirus. And, and how do we relate with all the health things going on, the government guidelines, the church guidelines, your family's personal decision. People just disagree. People that love Jesus, that we just disagree. And that can be an obstacle in our relationships. It can be an obstacle to ministry, to mission in the church. We've seen... Um, Information overload. You know, one of the things that's made, I think, the disagreements in the community and the church so challenging is that, you know, you can do a Google search and within a couple of minutes you can find something to support your perspective. Right? And so it made, it's made disagreements, I think, even more divisive because everybody's convinced that their perspective on health, their perspective on school, their perspective on church, their perspective on government guidelines is right because there's something on the Internet to support what you believe. And we have this information overload, and, and you can sort of find whatever it is, right or wrong. Secondly, I think an obstacle is, is just uncertainty. We have dealt with uncertainty in a, in a profound way this year. Um, again, lack of certainty about public health and, and is what we're being told right or wrong and are these guidelines too strict or too loose? Um, the government intervention, is, is the government you know, having a, a good role, a, a, a overreach? We're uncertain about these things. Uncertainty about church expectations. I mean, back in March, you know, every week it was like you didn't know, I didn't know what to expect about what you know, guidelines were going to come out, what we could plan, what we couldn't plan, who was going to be there. And that sense of uncertainty, I think, is continued. Should I book this vacation? Should I not book this vacation? Are my parents going to be able to visit next weekend or are they not? Are the kids going back to school? Are they going to be sent home, right? There's just incredible amount of uncertainty that's been a significant obstacle to our personal lives, but I think ministry in the church and, and their mission uh, to the world, just a real difficulty in, in any attempt to plan for the future. Um, and sometimes the future just means tomorrow, you know? Separation. I think a third obstacle is separation. Many are still physically separated. Uh, some of the folks joining us tonight on live stream, hey guys, again, um, some some of you guys have not been able to return uh, to to the physical gathering of believers uh, because of health concerns, because of of, of other uh, concerns about the pandemic, and and so even those that are not physically separated, I think we still feel this kind of emotional separation. I know Pastor Matt and I have talked about just what happens when you're talking to somebody with a mask on. There's there's a loss of intimacy and connection and not being able to see their face. And there's this separation even with people that you might be in the same room with. And, and we feel separated from family, from friends, folks in the church that you may not have seen for months, um, family members that typically would visit that have not been able to, neighbors that you're used to having conversations with that are now, you know, holed up in their homes. We're separated. Fourthly, there's a sense of loss. And, and many, many people, as we know, with COVID have, have grieved the loss of loved ones. And, and somebody in our life group just shared last week a relative that, that, that died from um, 
from coronavirus and thank the Lord they had a good, what did she say? It was 100 years old, right? So had a good ripe, <laughs> good ripe life. But people have, have been grieving the loss of loved ones. But beyond that, we're all, I think, feeling loss. And, and I think it's helpful to process what we've been experiencing this year as grief. And, and even if you haven't um, grieved the loss of, um, of a friend or family member, um, you know, there's loss of, of relationships, again, people that you haven't been able to spend time with, loss of, of schooling, you know, for those of you that have kids in school or, or college-age kids. Um, some of you that have kids at home, now you've lost free time, right? <laughs> you're, you're grieving the loss of, like, I used to be able to breathe a little bit on these certain days when the kids were at school. A loss of income, people have been laid off. A loss of jobs, those that are own businesses, run, run small businesses. I know many are struggling, and so there's this loss that's a significant obstacle, right, that we've been having to deal with. Fifthly, I think just think the obstacle of exhaustion. You know, we talked about this with our life group leaders and having to be sensitive to that reality that after months of of the stay-at-home orders and upheaval at work and and upheaval in your home life and challenges with the kids at school and just being worn out from technology, people are weary. And you get people into a room and I find that often their attention spans are just not as sharp, right? And, And their ability to engage and invest. People are drained and they're worn out. Again, information overload. Um, some people are you're like, I've just some people are like I've just checked out, right? But if you're following it, it's very easy to become overloaded with, with information and reading articles and updates and, and the latest statistics. Um, Zoom fatigue is a real thing, right? It is it is significantly more mentally and emotionally draining to try to engage with somebody over a video than when you're face to face. As I mentioned this morning I know my wife will tell you that healthcare workers are, are drained, their staffing shortages, extremely low morale, um, and, and so people are just exhausted. And when it comes to ministry in the church, um, it makes it more challenging. Again, when it comes to trying to engage with your neighbors and stay on mission in the community, whether that's the mission in life groups and youth and children, uh, a lot of challenges. Sixthly is disunity. Um, I think if you combine all of these factors, if you, if you take the, the disagreement, the uncertainty, the separation, the loss, the exhaustion, it spells out that for a lot of us, there's disunity, right? We're, we're not unified. And, and I think that that impacts family life, certainly. But um, I think also at times life in the church, you know, you can agree, you can, excuse me, you can disagree and still have unity, right? We can disagree about the issues, but I think even more so what we faced is, is the obstacle of, of disunity and just not seeing eye to eye, not feeling connected, not feeling unified. And so these are obstacles I think we've seen, um, not that they're unique, but we've seen them in a, in a new way all combined together, right, in, in 2020. And so how do we face these challenges, continue to be faithful in ministry, to continue to be faithful on mission. We're, g- we're going to talk in a minute and give you guys a chance to, to uh, turn with, with one another and, and you guys at home to chat as couples about how these obstacles really can be utilized as opportunities. But let me just give you a couple, couple quick thoughts. Um, disagreement. I mean, that's a significant obstacle, but I think it's an opportunity for us to, to display humility. When we find somebody we disagree with, it's an opportunity in your ministry teams, in, in, in the students that you, you're working with, the life group. It's an opportunity to listen, to respect people that you disagree with. It's an incredible opportunity uh, for Christ to shine through us. Uncertainty. Uncertainty. When life is uncertain, it's an opportunity to pray, right? An opportunity to trust the people that are leading, that, that you're waiting to hear what the latest guideline or the latest church uh, uh, um, recommendation is. 
mostly it's just an opportunity to trust the sovereign plan of God, right? When life is thrown for a loop and, and you don't know, you know, who in your life group is going to be comfortable coming inside and, and you don't know what youth ministry is going to look like, um, to trust the Lord, to trust his sovereign plan. The obstacle of separation, I think, is an opportunity to be creative. We're separated. So now, so now we've got to set up a live stream, Right? Now we've got to build relationships through phone calls and texts and letters and videos and, and standing, as many of us did last spring, you know, standing out in the street while your, your loved one sat on their porch. Right? And so we're reminded in the midst of the obstacle of separation, we're reminded how much we need one another right? and how we need to be creative to push past these obstacles to find connection. The obstacle of loss, it's an opportunity to grieve well. You know, and to recognize that it is at times appropriate to be sad and to mourn. You know, and, and we've experienced that with our kids when they're frustrated and they're discouraged and they can't, uh, you know, do what they want to do. And, and camp got canceled and, and, you know, they got laid off from their job or they can't go away to college. So, yeah, it, we can be sad and we can grieve that, that this world is not what we hope it would be. I think it also, in the midst of the loss that we face, gives us proper perspective. You know, that sometimes some of the things we put our hope in, maybe we're misplaced. And maybe there are things that we've lost that we should grieve, but maybe it's a reminder, you know what? Maybe I was looking too forward to that vacation. And I can be a little bummed out that I had to cancel the vacation, right? But it, should it really crush me in the way that my neighbor who just lost his job should maybe more appropriately be crushed? So I think, I think the loss that we faced and that obstacle is an opportunity to kind of reevaluate our perspective and, and to say, um, yeah, life group looks different this year. And men's and women's, you know, the retreat, I mean, it, it, it was annoying, you know, to practice uh, uh, mask wearing and, and, and dis- physical distancing at the retreat. Um, but I think it's an opportunity to, to press into the Lord and remember what's truly important. Um, fifth obstacle of exhaustion. I think it's an opportunity, I mean, quite simply, to find rest in God. You know, that maybe, again, some of the things we were relying on to keep us energized in ministry, in life, on mission, um, were, were maybe more earthly than they should have been. And so can we find rest in the Lord? Can we, in the midst of 2020 and all these challenges, establish godly habits and be disciplined with our diet, with exercise, with sleep, with rest from work, with prayer, with time in the Word, with relationships, with fasting, with fasting from from screens, with quiet time, right? In the midst of that exhaustion, we need to be disciplined to rest, physical rest, spiritual rest. Again, this information overload that discourages us and and this uh, the the frazzled download of information to put those devices away, to sit with the Lord, to be before Him. Disunity, I mean, the opportunity for disunity is is to be unified. (laughs) To say, we're not going to allow these challenges, we're not going to allow this separation and loss and, and disagreement to break apart our marriages, to break apart our ministry teams, to break apart the ministry that God is doing. And so we need to unify around what's truly important, give grace to one another, value one another, find unity in the Spirit of God. So, again, I'm going to give you guys a minute uh, or later. You'll have a minute to talk a little bit about obstacles you've faced, how you've seen them, turn them into to, uh, opportunities. I want you to think about that in your personal life, but also in your ministry teams. Every single one of you is in a key place in ministry in the church. So how can those obstacles be be utilized as, as an opportunity um, in, in where you're serving? So b- before Matt comes up, I just want to look real quick at Psalm 94 and, and just, just give us some comfort and some encouragement, some reminder uh, of what God is truly doing. Psalm 94, you see there in your notes. 
It says the Lord will not forsake his people. Man, some of us have struggled this year and felt like we're done. We're gone. God's left us. We're not going to get through. The Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous. And all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? Verse 17. If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. The land of silence is is the psalmist's way prophetically of just talking about the grave. Talking about death. If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought, my foot slips. Right? How many times do we feel like we're just slipping off the edge? Life's never going to be the same. The psalmist says, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. And man, I, I read that verse a few weeks ago. That, that, that just describes this year. The cares of my heart are many. Right? So what do we do? We turn to the Lord, and the psalmist says, His consolations, or, or His comfort, you can translate that, His comfort cheers my soul, or brings joy to my soul. So let's go to the Lord. Let's find comfort, encouragement in Him when the cares of our heart are many. I'm going to hold off and... We'll take a peek at Psalm 131 later on as, as Matt comes on up now to, to transition and give us some perspective and some practical training on, on what does discipleship look like in the midst of what we've faced. So come talk to us, man. All right. Thank you, Tim. Hey, good sermon this morning, by the way. Um, yeah, so we're here to talk about uh, relational uh, discipleship. And, uh, and one of the things I want to do is, is kind of begin by, by introducing a concept to you that, that may be familiar, may not be, um, but I think it'll, it'll help give us a really fresh understanding of how to think about ministry. One of, the, one of the things that a situation like 2020 has brought to us and coronavirus has brought to us, it helps us think about what's really important. It gets down to, you know, there's a lot of extra stuff in our lives that maybe we don't need, and the same might be true for our church ministry as well. So there's a concept, and it comes from a book that uh, actually our elders and deacons are going through right now uh, called The Trellis and the Vine, written by Colin Marshall and Tony Payne, uh, some Australian guys, uh, about 10 or 11 years ago wrote this book, and it really kind of helped a lot of pastors from all different kinds of denominations and kinds of ministries really say, yes, this is helpful. Um, and the whole thing is based on the idea of an agricultural illustration, a trellis and a vine. How many of you garden? Ryan does. A few people do. <laughs> so, or you're, uh, or you're familiar with a garden, right? Um, it's, it's amazing how Jesus uses so many of his illustrations have to do with gardening and fishing, like natural life stuff, because it's easily accessible. Well, if you guys don't know, a trellis, well, you know what a vine is, I'm assuming. It's a plant that grows up and it likes to cling to things and crawl up buildings and crawl up all kinds of things. A trellis um, is this, it's a framework structure that's used to support these vines, climbing vines. So you place a trellis in the ground near where a vine is going to grow or where you've planted one and it just allows that vine to grab onto something and grow up, up, up. Now, now, a trellis can be simple. It can be bamboo sticks lashed together with twine, or they can be, you know, 
really ornate. They can be made of iron, you know, and be really intricate and beautiful and really decorative. But really, the main thing is it, it, its purpose is to support uh, a vine, and it really just has to be able to bear the weight of that, however it is. And that's the important thing to keep in mind. However impressive or unimpressive a trellis is, it has a job, and that is to support the thing that is actually alive, the reason why you're gardening, and that is the vine. So the point of the illustration, the thing behind the whole book is this guy, he has this in his backyard, he's looking at a trellis that he has, he's looking at a tr- a one that has a vine on it, one that doesn't, and he says, this really kind of helps describe what a church is like. That a church is kind of a mixture of trellis and vine. And here's kind of what he talks about. That really there's a vine aspect, vine work in a church. And there's a trellis aspect, the support structures that help the vine grow. And he says that the vine work is really the basic ministry and mission of the church. Right? And you could summarize it like this. To make and mature disciples is the basic stuff that the church exists to do. That's the reason why we're alive as a church, so to speak. So, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit, making, baptizing, training disciples, it's the Great Commission. This is gospel gardening, if you want to call it that, right? The idea of, you know, planting, watering, fertilizing, tending the vine. This is vine work, and this is the essential stuff that churches exist to do, but also individual Christians to do. And uh, there's a, I really want to draw out a scripture from this, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, I think really puts this together in a nice way. It's speaking about Jesus, it says that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's a lot there, right? (laughs) But it's good stuff, right? God gave, equipped certain leaders in the church not to do all the ministry themselves, but to equip saints so that everyone is doing the work of the ministry. Everybody is using spiritual gifts. Speaking the tr- everyone is speaking the truth, the word of God, the gospel to one another. Building each other up. And we're all growing up like a vine. Growing up into Christ. Growing in unity if everything is working as it should. This is vine work. This is the essential basic stuff of the church. But there's also trellis work in a church. Right? Just like a vine needs a framework to grow on, so do churches, right? Someone had to come and set up these chairs tonight, and someone has to run the camera tonight and set up the the microphones and schedule babysitting and do all the the things, all the structures that allow us to do vine work. And so, yes, we do need a place to meet, to worship, Bibles to read from, leadership structure, organized ministries. Somebody has to 
to, to put together a calendar and ministry leaders have to send out emails and think about life group. Think about how hard it is sometimes just to get people together in a room. You got a schedule and who's going to host and who's going to bring the snack and who's facilitating this week and to be arranged babysitters and make sure everybody has $1 per babysitter for, per child. That's all trellis work. And it's all important because those are the structures, those are the programmatic things that support um, the ministry in the church. This is, and this is a good thing. This is not a, an opportunity to say, oh, trellis stuff is unimportant. No, it's very important. Um, but as, just like as a vine grows and spreads out, the trellis becomes more important because if the trellis is too small, the vine will overtake it and it won't be able to support the way of the vine. So as churches grow, as they grow and mature and more and more people are involved, the trellis becomes important and it also becomes complex in order to support it. So trellis work and trellis workers, people, if a, if a lot of your ministry is a lot of that organizational stuff, your work is invaluable. It's helping the vine be healthy and grow, and we, we need that in our ministries. So how does this impact our, our ministry mindset? I think it's helpful to, to think through what is trellis and what is vine, what is essential and what is supportive. Because there is a danger that the trellis can take over. Right? Maybe you've experienced this in a church at some point in your life or a, or a different kind of ministry. We need to be aware that as churches get bigger, sometimes we can begin to focus on building and managing impressive trellises, right? Impressive programs and ministries and branding and, 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 re- and really ex- things like that. But we can do all that and, and actually neglect vine work, the essential stuff of making and maturing disciples. And part of the reason, this isn't always the case, but it is a danger that we face because trellis work oftentimes is easier. It's more visible. You can see it, right? Where vine work can be harder. It weighs on us in a different way. It requires things of us emotionally to engage with people, with our neighbor who might be lost. Or or, or to give counsel to Christians um, and, and speak the word into their life, or to, to pray deeply for, for another fellow brother or sister who is hurting. Like this, that takes a different type of toll on you. It can be harder, and it doesn't always give these grand returns that are so visible. And as we get older, as Christians and as churches get older, there's a temptation to get tired of vine work and to give ourselves more into organizational responsibilities. <laughs> So if we're not careful, we can become adept at growing impressive ministry structures without doing real vine work, real gospel ministry. So our task is actually to do both, all right? but to keep them in, in the right place. And so my, my admonition to us is to keep the main thing the main thing. Whatever your ministry is, youth, life groups, men's, women's, children's ministry, uh, worship, whatever it might be, this is an opportunity to just think through that we're going to keep the main thing the main thing. We can get caught up in all the organizational stuff, and that is important. But don't let it overtake what we're here to do. Let's build our church support structures to support, not supplant, the basic task of vine work, making and maturing disciples. So it's interesting in this book, like I said, it was written 10 years ago, right? He gives an illustration. Like the very last thing he ends up his book uh, talking about uh, is this. He says, imagine this. Just It's a scenario. Imagine this. As we write, the first worrying signs of a swine flu pandemic are making headlines around the world. Imagine that a pandemic sweeps through part of your world and all the public assemblies of more than three people are banned by the government for reasons of public health and safety. 
And let's say that due to some catastrophic combination of local circumstances, the bans had to remain in place for 18 months. Let's hope he's not too accurate, right? How would your congregation of 120 members continue to function with no regular church gatherings of any kind, no home groups, except for groups of three? If you were the pastor, what would you do? That's nearly prophetic, right? So it's realized how telling this is. He says, when your trellis has has fallen down, can you still function as a church? And I think that's one of the things that, that the really an opportunity that 2020 has presented to us is when you, when you can't rely on the trellis so much, can we still do vine work? So how has coronavirus effect, effect impacted trellis work? I'm going to be kind of brief on this. I think Tim did a great job hitting on this. But, of course, things like crowd size, right? I mean, spreading everybody out. You know, we, we talked about how ironic it was where we, we just came to this place where we had this grand opening, our new space, and... It's hard. To, we we want to fill it, but it's it's a weird time to do that. You know, um, meeting there's meeting space restrictions. We're finding that even with life groups, trying to find places at Summit Grove to meet and to space out, um, having to deal with masks and, and sanitation, all that comes with it. We talked about Zoom, the virtual meetings, all of that. But one of the funny things is is how much of church ministry do we think about in outreach is attractional? Like we want to draw crowds. Now that's actually something you kind of don't want to do, which is weird. Like, we're actually cautious about, like, oh, can we do Christmas Bash this year? We'd have to limit how many people can come, but do we really want to do an outreach event where we're turning people away? Like, this is hard to think through. These are part of the structures that we've gotten used to. You know, challenges, you know, with the YMCA outreach, you know, doing smoothies. It's kind of difficult. We've been doing that for years. A great input into the YMCA. You know, can we still make food and, and hand it out to people? That's part of the structure that we've had in place for a long time that's allowed us to do ministry. But and anyway, what he does is he goes into the trellis and the vine. He thinks about, well, if you're, if you're, how would you do things? And he has this, I'm not going to go through his whole pattern, but he basically says you'd have to really focus on small ministry, personal, relational ministry that's not reliant on large gatherings. And he talks about kind of training people to do that. I'd encourage you to read this at some point. But I just want to give you a couple things. My, my main point is I really want to encourage you just to think through your own ministry and what is trellis and what is vine. And what is taking up most of your attention? Where is your heart at? And I think we have an opportunity now to really refocus on relational ministry. So I want to give you kind of a couple things that will help us refocus on vine work during this time. Praise God, a lot of our trellis, I'm going to keep using that illustration, is becoming up and running again. I'm thankful we can be here tonight. I remember when we were filming our worship services on Saturday night with eight people. Okay, and I'm glad that... This Sunday morning, you know, we have a lot of people with us. So a lot of our, our, our programs are coming back into full swing, but they're not there yet. So what are some ways we can thrive apart from maybe our reliance on large-scale events and programs? Well, if I could just put it simply in one sentence or one phrase that we can kind of think through things, it's this. We need to begin, again, prioritizing people over programs. Thinking about people over programs. Let me, think, let me give you some examples of ways we can do this. Or one is be focusing on small scale or deep discipleship over large one-time events. 
I'm so thankful for large events that we do, for outreach, uh, for a youth group. I love Saturday nights. I, I like the Sunday morning gathering that we do. Um, and they are useful. They have a place. They have a purpose, a corporate gathering. Um, but it's not the only way that we do church. It's not the only way that we uh, make disciples. And it does take a lot of trellis to get the large group events together. It's a lot of work to put all that together. Um, as helpful as it is. But oftentimes we find that the most uh, effective discipleship actually does happen on a small scale. Jesus had the large crowds, you know, 5,000 that he preached to. But really, his most effective ministry, then he had the 120 disciples, and then he had his 12. And even among those 12, it seems like he had three that he focused on the most. A lot of times, the most effective, impacting discipleship we do is smaller in scale. Even though the large group stuff is more impressive, it takes a lot of attention, a lot of support structure. An example, uh, that, that we, we, something we do in youth ministry that I really enjoy is, is core groups. And... Uh, Julie leads a core group as well. She's here with us. And it's a, it's a ministry we do where we used to just, just have Saturday nights for a youth group. And uh, we did all of our small groups there. And we did everything on one night. And it was really hard to kind of pull it all off. And I said, I'd really love to have some kind of a small group ministry that was somewhere during the week. But because of life groups and everything else, I'm like, I can't just like pick a night and say, let's do it. So I said, you know, let's find some leaders, you know, who can, who can just choose a day of the week. When you're available and pick three or four students and disciple them, get together once a week, have a topical discussion of some sort that's pertinent to the students in your group, read the Bible together, pray and help set goals. And I had a little bit more oversight than that, but it's not much, right? It was, it was pretty much, Hey, disciple students, you know, and I'm not going to give you a curriculum. I'm going to oversee you. I'm not going to leave it totally the dark. But it's amazing when you get a leader with students together uh, in a small group format, and it's, it's really seen a lot of growth, and it's been a pleasure. I, I meet with a group of 7th and 8th grade guys, and I love Saturday nights. I love teaching, but man, I see the most growth and deep discipleship when it's just a smaller group of guys getting together talking. And so I think there's opportunities to do this in our church. Um, life groups are one of them, but our Ironman accountability groups, Arise and Shine, I just mentioned core groups. There are, there are lots of different ways to do this. And, and it's at different levels, too. It can be as small as one-on-one. If you're going to do like a mentoring relationship, if there's someone that you just want to like really intensely mentor, one-on-one is a great opportunity for that. If you're going to, there's, then there's the level of like between two to five people, which core group is an opportunity to do that. That's really a more intimate group. And there's like an accountability focus. It's hard to do accountability with like 12 people. Okay. It's hard to do some of that, that stuff when you, when you, when you get to a certain threshold, I think like four or five, once you get past that, now you're into like Bible study, uh, area, you know, where it's good for small group study and discussion. But if you're going to do some accountability, Two to five is a good, a good place to do that. Six to ten people, like our life groups, are good for, for small group study and discussion. But however you do it, just be really focusing in on during this time, thinking through how, can we can, how you can focus on that small-scale, deep discipleship over reliance on large one-time events. Secondly is focusing on word ministry. Now, this sounds obvious, right? Because, I mean, everything we do is word ministry, right? Um, but word ministry involve, is, is central for growing disciples. In some sense, you really could say that vine work is word ministry in one way or another. It, so, so word ministry does involve preaching, but it's not only that. 
It does involve, you know, personal reading of Scripture. It does involve Bible studies. But really, word ministry is not just that. It's not just life groups, Sunday school, and preaching. It's really everything that we're doing to build the body of Christ and to make disciples and mature them. It's, it's our basic evangelism strategy. It's bringing the word to bear in other people's lives, whatever situation they have. So it is sharing the gospel with unbelievers. It's, being, it's just going out for coffee with somebody and talking and then hearing about what's going on in their life and saying, yeah, there's a scripture I want to share with you about that. Bringing God's word to bear on whatever a situation may be in someone's life. Speaking the word to one another. Letting it dwell richly among you. Teaching, admonishing, singing praises. I think it involves our prayer life. My wife was just telling me about a small group of ladies who came and were together and they were, they were praying together. And, and, and one woman was praying and she was just praying gospel promises, just praying the promises of scripture um, over the group. And that was word ministry and it was just a very meaningful time. Word ministry is so core to what it means to make and mature disciples. It's, it's central to what it means to do divine ministry. So word ministry is, is encouraging right now. It's also what we do for prayer and worship. So what, however, you're, you're, you know, however we're meeting, just, just refocus on the fact that word ministry is essential to what it means um, to do Christian ministry. Uh, Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. He just says... The word of God should just be flooding everything that you do. And that is how we grow, make mature disciples. Lastly, focus on one anothering. That's such a weird phrase, right? But there's, there's this phrase that keeps popping up if you're paying attention in the New Testament, in the epistles particularly. One another. The Greek word all alone. And it's this idea of, of how Christians are to respond to one another there are there are commands for how christians are to treat their neighbor and how we're to how we're to deal with people in general but all alone or uh, this one another commands they really are keying in on how christians are to relate within the body of christ they dictate how christians live together so that's why you see things like love one another in brotherly affection outdo one another in showing affection live in harmony with one another do not pass judgment on one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Maybe a fist bump these days. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Consider how to stir up one another in love and good works. Christians, we are still to do these things even if we can't meet in person. Even if we have to meet in smaller groups. That's vine work. We still need to do that. So we need to be thinking through how can we live out these one another commands. So I want to give just two kind of application points to that um, as we kind of wrap up this time. Um, one is remember those who are not able to meet in person but are still connected. What I mean is that there are people, I mean, some may be even watching right now, there are people who aren't able to come to our services, aren't able to gather in person, don't feel comfortable doing so, uh, but they are still connected. They're still praying. They're still, they're still watching the worship services and worshiping with us uh, through live stream. Um, they still write letters and notes and, and zoom in for life group and other meetings, you know, but let us not forget them. 
let us love and love them and and consider how we can uh, we can uh, one another with them we can fulfill those commands with them so consider whom you know maybe in your in children's ministry or in youth ministry or who used to attend your life group and, and isn't able to come right now or you haven't seen on Sunday mornings like who in your ministry are you not able to connect with let's not leave them behind but make extra effort to fulfill the one other commands with them that's fine work Secondly, is pursue the disconnected because there are others who are not attending and, and maybe initially it was for, um, for health concerns, but for whatever reason, they haven't really kept up with, uh, with watching. They haven't kept up and it's, it's easy to kind of drift away in, in, as, as Hebrews warns us against, you know, of not, not, not continuing it and, and gathering together. But we don't, want, we don't want to leave them aside. We want to continue lovingly pursuing them as part of our congregation. Jesus talked about Leaving the 99 to go find the one who may have wandered a bit. Not that they're wandering in faith, but they're just disconnected. And so I encourage us to consider those whom we can connect with on that level and checking with them as well. How can we let the word of Christ dwell richly among us in, in pursuing them? How can we encourage them and lift them up with the word and lift them up in prayer? We could go on on talking about this, but I really want to just give this brief lesson to help us think through church ministry in a new way. How we have an opportunity in this time to refocus on what is the essential work that we do. The essential work that every Christian in every church does, which is to make and mature disciples. This is vine work. And while our trellis work is a little hindered right now, I mean, we, we still don't have a nursery up and running. We still don't have all of our Sunday school classes. Um, there, there are things that we can't fully do that we're used to doing. But I, I encourage us to think through how you personally and how the ministries that you're involved with can, can, can adapt so that we can still fulfill all calling. Okay, with that said, uh, I want to give you an opportunity, if you have your, uh, your form here, uh, just take um, about five or ten minutes here, about, about ten minutes, and really look through some of these discussion questions. Uh, in this room, just maybe turn in groups of two or three, maybe four, and, uh, and just talk through some of these discussion questions at home. Yeah, maybe circle up in your living room or whoever you're with, and you can talk through some of these things as well. I... Um... I meant to say earlier, you, you guys at home, we were trying to figure out a, a way for you to, to give feedback or whatever. Text me, 717-542-5389. Question, comment, text it. I'll pass it on to Matt. Um, something comes up in your discussion group, send me a text. And um, we'd love to uh, get your feedback and get your input as well. I think we'll just leave the live stream on. Just let it run so that there's no uh, technical issues. And uh, we'll be back in a few minutes. Circle up in your groups. What's that? My phone number. I'm supposed to repeat my phone number. Most of you have my phone number, 717-542-5389. Thanks. All right, everybody back. Grab your seat. Folks at home, maybe you can, like, switch to a different place on the couch or something. Now, Chris, you can come up. Okay. All right. Chris is going to kick us off. It should be, uh, what is it, Holly? Page three there where it says relational evangelism. Section three. There you go. All right.
All right. If you're not here, you missed a, there's a basketball court on the other side and you just missed a game of knockout. It's pretty intense. Fun. Um, okay, so Matt, uh, Matt's section on the trellis and the vine was a really great um, transition into what I'm, what I'm going to do. I'm going to build on what he said. In fact, I want to go over his three points here real quick because I think you can really apply them well to evangelism. Um, people over programs, um, and that is true in general in the church, and it's true in specific with regards to evangelism, um, that we're going we're gonna to pursue that as, evan- as people that reach the lost. Um, word ministry in, in general, but then word ministry is how we take the word of God and share it with unsaved people so that we're using the words of scripture and the, the truth, the power of the sword of God's word, and that's how we're how we're reaching, reaching the lost. And then um, the third way that he mentioned vine ministry is um, as being uh, doable and prevalent in COVID is just that the one another's, um, just how we love one another and care for one another. And I think that ultimately for our uh, evangelism goals and strategies, desires and growth in evangelism to work, it's going to happen one another. It's going to happen as we as we encourage one another together to, uh, to grow in these things. So I'm really thankful for, for Matt and where, what, he, uh, what he built there. And actually, I was going to say that book, um, I came on to the leadership team at about a time when they had already chosen that book. Uh, I, I don't know if I even caught the first chapter or two, but I came in uh, as that was already beginning, and I was so encouraged by it because it... It spoke not only to me, but it, it spoke about the heart that I had coming onto the team to see that each person is a part of this this vine work, and specifically the vine work of of sharing uh, the gospel with people. That it's not something that's just done from the front or by the uh, only the leaders, but as leaders, we're going to do the work of encouraging the people under us and serving with us. Um, that they can be a part of that vine ministry of um, of sharing the gospel, and I just um, was encouraged by that book because it spoke to me, and it just sort of showed me that God's hand has kind of been on this process of of me having the heart for. Um, evangelism and sharing the gospel with people, but then seeing uh, again and again that it's just been a part of Living Hope Church, and I'm just entering into something that I think God's doing, and I'm excited to be a part of, of uh, you know, taking it maybe to a, another level, just because there's another person on, on board to give some pointed attention to that. So that would, that's what I want to do tonight. Um, I'm going to spend a little bit of time kind of uh, giving some background, focusing on evangelism in general, and maybe a strategy uh, that we'll pursue as a church for, on evangelism, and then some of the specific ways that we're going to, the tools that we're going to have to help us do better in this area, um, I think are really adaptable to the COVID situation. So I, I might not get directly into uh, the COVID 
COVID implications, but toward the end, the tools that I'm going to offer us are really adaptable to the limitations that Tim mentioned and the opportunities that Tim mentioned as well. So, um, first off, um, I think that, again, I feel like God has been sort of working this through me over a lot of years. Um, and one thing that, that when I started to have a heart for evan- personal evangelism, relational evangelism, that uh, there was a quote that I heard, or a little subject of a, of a talk that I heard that really s- inspired me and stirred me and kind of speaks to, I think, the key thing that not only I believe is, helps me to be evangelistic, uh, is going to help us as a church, is going to help us as leaders to encourage others to be evangelistic. So, um, Brian, we're going to do a one-minute clip, and um, you can cue that now. Thanks that the reason Paul is so set on preaching the gospel to beloved of God saints called believers in Rome is because when believers know and love and feed on the meat of the gospel day in and day out, when they become gospel-dependent and gospel-driven and gospel-saturated and gospel-hopeful and gospel-joyful, they won't need to think about evangelism as something where you reach and find out, what's the gospel? Where's my booklet? Or where's my list? They live the gospel. The gospel is their hope. The gospel is what they get up with and still their conscience with in the morning. The gospel is how they handle a hard day at the work. The gospel is how they handle coming home to an empty house after the divorce. If you don't live on the gospel, evangelism will be artificial. And many believers, I fear, are trying to live another way than on the gospel. They don't eat the gospel. They don't drink the gospel. It isn't the whoop and wharf of their thinking, but it is the warp and woof of Romans. Yes, great. Yeah, so that I heard that several years ago, and gosh, it just... It spoke to me on a lot of levels, specifically like I, some of our fears, I think, in evangelism are, are in the area of being, you know, are not inauthentic and of, of reaching out to people and getting rebuffed because they're, they're just, you know, they think we're trying to shove something down their throat or we're trying to um, get a little notch on our belt as, as Christians telling other people. But that... That, that concept of the gospel flowing, being in me and flowing through me as a part of my everyday life, uh, it just really spoke to me in a, in a deep way that helped me to think authentically about who I am in Christ. Um, another specific example is I've had the chance to connect and build a relationship with, with some people that struggle with drug addiction. And uh, there's... A million different ways that I'm totally different than them. But in terms of the gospel, in terms of my need for God and the ways that I daily need the grace of God in my life, I'm no different than them. 
And it's just a way to connect us to people that are unsaved. The gospel is that tool. And then uh, around that time, or maybe, I don't, I don't know exactly when I learned that, saw, heard that quote, but Tim also did a series. Was anyone here? You guys weren't. For that series? Yeah, a few of you. Um, and this is... This is called Gospel Revolution by J.D. Greer. This is the small group book, but there's, a, there's an actual textbook that we went through over several, uh, several week sermon series. And really the essence of it is that the gospel isn't just the beginning point of our lives as Christians. It's not what, just what gets us saved. It's the um, diving board. It's not just the diving board. It's the whole swimming pool, right? <laughs> it's something that we uh, bask in every day as Christians. So that to me seems like a, a way to say I'm not just trying to get other people into something or manipulate or control or do whatever. I, I'm living off of something and I'm offering it to them as well. So that that is, I, if there's nothing else that you can be able to take away from this, um, and as we get into the tools that I hope to share with you on how we can grow in evangelism. It's really about just feeding on it myself every day, every day, and growing in it, and then it overflowing from who I am. And people will connect with that. You know, we're not arguing points. We're not trying to convince them against their will. We're just sharing who we are and what makes me tick day in and day out. It's gospel, and it will continue to be gospel. So that that is um, the encouraging uh, central feature, I think, of what I've seen at Living Hope, and I've heard from Tim and Matt, and is in the Trellis and the Vine book at, that we're studying as leadership, and um, I continue to see uh, being an, the essential way that we overflow with, with gospel as, as uh, evangelists. Um, okay, so now we're going to just, I, I want to do a little bit of like, sh- show you some strategy. I really think it's a, sort of a biblical path to help us walk from um, not evangelizing very much, uh, and it, which is where I am, which is where I believe most people are, to a place of evangelizing more often and seeing fruit from that evangelism. Really seeing us go from, uh, you know, baptisms, a marker of new believers growing in our church. Um, um, that's going to be some strategy I'm going to show you in a minute. But first I want to make sure it's, we have foundation under it. We look at scripture. Um, so I would love for you guys to each, uh, two or three of you, to take a passage of scripture. Uh, maybe I'll just assign them, if you guys don't mind. Tim and Holly, would you mind going to 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 23? Craig and Hope and Julie, 1 Peter three fifteen. And Crodel's back there. Can you take John 4, 34 to 38? Let's see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Um, Mike and the Cosmos. Psalm 51, verses 7 to 13. Grab that verse. And I guess... That leaves you, Pastor Tim. And maybe I'll give one uh, for the folks on Zoo online. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 15 to 21. Are you familiar with that passage? 
Yeah, he did a whole series on that. Um, okay, so pull the passage up, and uh, all I'm asking, all I'm going to have you do is just give me a reflection on um, how or why we do evangelism from the passage that I've given you, and I just want us to share that and make sure that we're our foundation, our roots of uh, doing evangelism, being a leadership that helps the church grow in evangelism, and especially during COVID. Are, are rooted in the in the Word of God. So take a minute or two to look at your passage, and give, and then I'll. Uh, since you're leaders, I'm not. I'm gonna just make you answer. I'm gonna just force it on you. Sure. Like make sure they have theirs. Or oh, great. If you'd like to follow along with these scriptures, it's 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23, 1 Peter 3, 15, John 4, 34 to 38, Psalm 51, 7 to 13, and 2 Corinthians 5, 15 to 21. And if you have an insight on how or why, we should do evangelism, text him, and he will share it with us. He will share your thoughts with us. All right, take a minute. Okay, let's do it. Good gospel words. All right, Tim and Holly, you had 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Give us an observation on how or why we do evangelism from this passage. I guess to summarize, it's the most important thing. Mm, it's the most important thing. So, so Paul's talking about how, you know, to the Jews he becomes like a Jew, to the weak he becomes weak, um, to those not having the law he becomes like them in order to reach them. Mm. Got it. There's a little part at the very end there that why about why he does that too. Did you catch that at the end of 23? I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in his blessings. Yeah. So do whatever it takes, you're saying, and I'm and I'm kind of adding to share in its blessings because I want those blessings as well for myself. And I don't think that's a bad instinct. I think it's a biblical instinct to want to be blessed in sharing the gospel with others. And I, I have experienced that it is true that that happens. All right. Craig, Hope, and Julie, you had First Peter 3, verses, verse 15. Somebody at home uh, requested a mic. I was supposed to summarize that. Okay. I was going to struggle. So It's good so, stuff, but I was going to struggle summarizing it. 
so I mean there's multiple aspects in here um, in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy mm. he's holy he is separate from his creation always being prepared to make a defense there are many lofty ideas out there in the world that mm. confuse us that separate us and Christ is unifying us and giving us a hope uh, because a lot of those ideas are based in man mm. and uh, he gives us reconciliation and the gospel as you would mentioned and doing it in gentleness and respect mm. people are putting their their lives on these lofty ideas they have faith in them yeah. you have to understand that and respect that and hear them but help them understand that they are standing on quicksand that they are sinners in need of a savior right excellent so i don't have to summarize that but it yes that's huge and the gentleness and respect that these that people are building their lives on something and even though we know a better way we know what they ultimately need that we need to be gentle with them not tear them apart and show them that the gospel is a better way through love and um, that's well well shown in that passage absolutely all right uh, john four thirty four to 38 crotals going to give us some how or why of the gospel Evangelism. yeah i mean i think the big my big takeaway from this is that it says um you know, it's talking about the harvest and that the, the, the fields are ripe for the harvest. Yeah. Right? And it talks about how, um, you know, they, one sows and another reaps. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the fields have been sowed and the crop is, is plentiful and it's there. Amen. And then, you know, our call is to, to, to reap that, right, that crop. Um, you know, I really liked it, you know, it says others have done the hard work and you reap the benefits of the labor. You know, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know it's our calling to to finish that work, right? So it's it's been started, you know. And it, I think it is true if you look around at our world, you know, the 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 harvest is plentiful, right? Mm-hmm. Especially in a hurting world and in a in a world right now where we're mm-hmm. you know seeing a, a thousand different things. <laughs> it could be um, people crying out, you know. Um, it's there, yeah. and and we're called to to complete that that harvest absolutely yeah huge covid connection there right i think people are seeing that the structures of power and authority that that man have set up are just not enough are not gonna save us and the gospel will so jesus awesome there Okay, uh, next passage is three for a little bit of loop here. Thankfully, we got a pastor in this one, but Michael do great with it too. Um, it, this is not maybe a traditional evangelism passage, but it's it's one that um, I feed on a lot. And Psalm 51 verses 7 through 13, a how or why of evangelism from this passage. Might I read the whole thing real quick? Yeah, read it. Uh, sure. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. I had to Google this and then I had to Google what hyssop was. And uh, 
it's a, an herb that uh, they used to use back in that times. But uh, wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then uh, verse 13, how it ends. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. And um, I think I just, you know, I wrote down uh, something that said to me was, Do not cast me from your presence. Um, if we we ask God not to cast him f- us from his presence, we most certainly can't cast others from ours. Um, yeah. But uh, grant me a willing spirit and sustain me. Definitely need a, a willing spirit and to be sustained, that's for sure. And, and I will teach tran- transgressors your ways. So after all that's been done, verse 7 through 12, when you blotted out my sins and you sustained mm-hmm. me and you've forgiven me for what I've done, then I can and I will teach transgressors. So that's what I got out of it. Amen. Yeah, I just mentioned um, when you experience God's salvation, it's an, it's an encouragement to share it with others. So it's yeah. after, rather than just knowing the gospel, David has experienced forgiveness and restoration and renewal. Yeah. And after that, then he, it is an encouragement to, do, to share right. with others. Right. Kind of ties in with what Craig said, too. I think that that it's you're you're challenging someone else's worldview, but you're doing it from a place of humility and brokenness and admission that you are a sinner as well. And and uh, I think that's what leads to 13. That's what allows people to change as they see in you something real and uh, powerful. So great. Okay, one more. Second Corinthians Five, fifteen to 21. No. Do it. Um, so, yeah, it starts, starts off talking about how if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And, and I think, yeah, it's just a beautiful message and reality of the gospel that we're made new. The old is gone. The new has come. And so, again, just on this theme of us experiencing it first, experiencing the beautiful reality of, of what Christ has done. And then it goes on to say that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So the work that he's done in us, he's now given to us to, to offer to others. And it says that uh, we have this ministry, God's given it to us, and we're his ambassadors. We speak mm-hmm. on behalf of Christ uh, to offer to others, you know, the awesome work that he's done in us. True. Very good. All right, so now I'm going to do a little bit of, okay, great, sketching out kind of a, I guess, a path towards living this out. Um, I think what, uh, I think what God's laid on me has come over the years leading me towards a desire to see evangelism grow in myself and in our church is the, how hard it is. You know, I have this little uh, rhyming 
pair here. I'm busy, I'm scared, and I'm unprepared. And, and honestly, like I've heard that over and over again. We're just too busy to do this. We're, we're, too, we're frightened to be rejected by people. And we don't feel prepared to uh, share our faith or to answer objections or to deal with um, maybe the difficulties that other people will have in, in responding to the gospel. So... Um, building on the foundation of all the, all those passages and all the rest of the world's God, word of God speaks. Um, there's kind of three things that I, I feel like I want to see us do, and that's build a solid, um, concrete goal directed towards something. So we, we've talked about this in leadership, and it's not um, it's not a dig on anybody. But it's just the truth that we're rarely connecting with unsaved people. We're, we're rarely sharing the gospel, sharing our faith personally. And, honest, and we're rarely seeing a lot of um, unchurched, totally unchurched people evangel- uh, respond to the gospel and get saved and baptized in our church. It's, it's, it's not just us. I, I know other churches and it's a reality. And it's something we just need to say. So the concrete goal is is to make it to go from rare to regular that this would happen and um, not because we have big, you know, um, tent revivals and things like that, but because everyone, um, everyone is, and this is where Matt's and the Vine ministry thing part comes in that everyone is involved in in sharing with their i i just uh make it an an uh, acronym friends family neighbors and co-workers and that everyone is reaching our friends families neighbors and co-workers um and that is not going to happen through shaming each other or our the people we lead or or getting stuck in shame ourselves. It's going to happen as we serve and equip and encourage and grow together in this process. So I, I see at, from the scriptures we've read a sort of a stepping stone path of getting there as a, being aware, gaining confidence. And then persevering. Persevere. I don't spell so well. All right. So as we, again, it's, a, it's little steps along the way, right? There's, just like Jesus said in John 4, look up, you know, that, that's really the first step. We are busy. We do have a lot going on. To look up and notice our friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers that don't have the Lord is honestly where we need to begin. And there's lots of little ways for us to do this as leaders and as a church. Um, just, you know, getting to know the neighbors around you. Do I was challenged recently that, do I know the names of everyone? If I made a tic-tac-toe board and I was the center house, do I know the names of all the people that live in the houses around me? Not necessarily, or do I ever speak to them? You know, something, little things like that. Um, uh, prayer is 
is huge in this area of awareness. Just corporately praying and, and then praying as individuals for in, uh, people in our lives who aren't saved. Um, even just a list, having a list on your phone. I have like a top ten list of unsaved friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers, And just doing little things like that. Um, and then building confidence as we are aware. We can build confidence through different training. Um, there's a book, um, I won't get it now, Tactics, that is talks about how to use questioning and curiosity. Tim talked about it this morning to just get to know people and under, draw out their worldview. Instead of challenging, we we engage with them. And when they build trust with us, then we have opportunity to share with them. Um, there's other training skills in that um, that we can share with one another. Um, this is all about like in life groups, taking a few minutes at the end of life groups to talk about this. Women's and men's ministry, talking to one another and building confidence and as we want another, each other to um, care about the unsafe people in our lives and talk about how we're connecting and growing relationship with them. Um, and then persevering, because it's going to get hard. There's going to be failure. There's going to be times when we're rejected, we're not accepted in our faith, and um, learning about how the sovereignty of God works and persevering, praying more, um, and just pursuing how our suffering... Uh, I, COVID is really a part of this, how our suffering can actually be a tool to connect with people in the places where they're suffering and then reach them for the gospel. So there's, there's uh, details here, but the point is to have help one another with small steps towards going from re- admitting that we rarely do this to Becoming more and more aware and confident and perseverant in sharing the gospel. And doing this as a church and building one another up in this. So, before we uh, do our last ten minutes of, of discussion and it'll be a little bit of quiet time mixed in there, I'm going to offer you guys two tools to get this started. Tools on, one's in the aware category, one's a little more in the confident building category. There's the blue um, paper that you... We're given, that's an evangelism prayer guide. And then in the very back of your, uh, well, let's just start with this one. The evangelism prayer guide is, uh, sure, uh, yeah. Yeah, the evangelism prayer guide is, again, is built on that key principle that I started with, right? That the gospel flows through me and I grow in it and then I'm able to reach out. So it is about, if you open to the first page, how to use this guide, um, it's going to have verses that I think we can pray over our unsaved friends and families and neighbors and coworkers. But we're not just going to stick their name in there and and pray for them and move on. We're going to read we're going to start by reading for ourselves and reflecting on how God has used these concepts such as uh, Acts 26:18 says to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and the power of Satan to God to receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. 
That's not just something other people need, right? I need forgiveness of my sins every day, and I need continuing faith and sanctification. So as I read and reflect and write about that passage, it prepares my heart to then have someone in mind to pray for, write their name in the blank, and then pray their name as the verse goes along and pray that God would open Lee's eyes, that God would cause Lee to turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And then hopefully step four out of that is to have have something to do. And this, I, I, I think, ties really well into the limitations of COVID, that the texting and writing and even messaging on uh, social media apps is, is just as easy as anything right now and a way that we can uh, take a little time to connect with one of these people that God puts on our hearts. So this is a prayer, God, I hope we can continue to use. Um, and then there's one uh, the second one here that it, this is another sermon series Tim did. Is uh, It's at the back of your uh, packet of notes here and it's the multifaceted gospel and wow i i when when he preached this it, it just hit me so hard i think what you can do i i did a little blue highlighter here of a couple of under the present one two three four fifth one over presenting needs there's just some of these that scream uh obstacles of covid right i mean alienation and loneliness and fear these are all presenting realities that the gospel very specifically speaks to as hope. And again, with the key thing being in me and then out through me, I need God to help me with loneliness and fear every day. But then once I'm connected to him and what he's done through Christ, I'm able to pray and be more prepared in conversation when I hear these presenting needs with my unsaved family, friends, neighbors, and coworkers, to have a place to specifically go with them in, in connecting that to the gospel. And um, so we're going to take a few minutes before we close here. Um, let's see. The, the bottom of section three, relational evangelism, has a uh, look at the presenting needs in the section of the multifaceted gospel chart and share a time you helped someone face one of these needs. Um, another foundation I didn't really have time to focus on, but I, I, I gotta say is I'm so encouraged already. This is in the hearts of the people of Living Hope. I've been in this role, I guess, for a month. Over a dozen people have come to me and we've talked about specific individuals in their lives that they're praying for and reaching out with the gospel. Quite a few of them are teenagers and others are all different demographics. Anyway, it's happening at Living Hope. So it's not something we have to create, but it's something we want to foster and encourage. So let's talk about a time in that multifaceted gospel chart where you've already helped someone who had one of those presenting needs. And how did the gospel help you? And then it, uh, we might not have time. Um, see if you can give a quick answer of how it might help you in your ministry to serve the people that you're serving. And then let's close with a few minutes practicing this evangelism prayer guide. If someone puts someone on, if God puts someone on your heart, take a minute and just pray through one of the scriptures in this prayer guide. And then we'll close. Thanks. 
Good stuff. So uh, if you're at home, take a minute and look through some of those resources. Hopefully you found them online. Um, let's take a few minutes and circle back up in your um, groups, please. And, uh, yeah, look over some of those resources, uh, some of the um, questions on there, and try to think practically about your own personal life and about your ministry. Good to see some conversations continuing. We're just going to wrap up here in a minute. And as we do that, I want to give you a few homework assignments. Um, as you take some of this material home, uh, for those of you that are watching at home, as, as you maybe send out, this video will be on the website on YouTube, so maybe we can send this out to some other ministry leaders. So a few homework assignments. First of all, in terms of relational discipleship, I want you to continue to think about in your ministries this week and, and for the remainder of the year, what does it look like to put people over programs? Just, just be thinking about that question that Pastor Matt asked us. How can we, in the context of ministry and the various ministry teams that you serve, how can you continually be putting people over programs? How does that tweak, adjust, transform maybe the way that you are serving in ministry? As far as what we're facing in COVID, um, there are challenges with ministry in the church, but there are challenges with our mission. Um, I think outreach has gotten more difficult because people are disconnected. So this, this concept that Chris is pointing us to relate, related to relational evangelism, how do we connect with friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers? Is that it? Friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers. Um, so first of all, man, this, this prayer journal is, is a real gem. Um, please, please uh, make use of this resource. Um, if you can't fill out ten names, that's okay. Start with three. Start with five. Start with whatever you have. Begin praying. Begin using these scripture verses Chris has outlined as a way to think about the gospel for yourself. Because as he said, if we're not soaking in the gospel ourselves, we're not, it's not going to be spilling out of us into the lives of other people. So make use of this journal. Chris has his email uh, on the back of here. And so um, he would love to hear from you. If you have a heart uh, for uh, sharing the gospel with your lost friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers, uh, send Chris an email. If you have other scripture verses that have been meaningful to you that we can put in the second edition of this prayer guide, uh, let him know that. He's going to be putting together kind of a brainstorming uh, crew uh, probably in a couple weeks, maybe next month. If you're interested in being part of a brainstorming team about how we at Living Hope Church mobilize ourselves for relational evangelism, uh, let him know that. Um, you can also make use of the uh, multifaceted gospel chart. Just begin familiarizing yourself with this so that as you are praying, as you are having conversations, you're thinking through how does the gospel connect to the people that the Lord is, is connecting with me. Guys, as ministry leaders, we need to be soaking ourselves and being mindful of discipleship, being mindful of evangelism so that we can be incorporating these things into our teams, so that we can be spurring one another on, so that we can be mobilizing our ministries, not just to run programs, but to be doing discipleship, to be doing evangelism, that we're doing it ourselves, that we're leading the congregation, leading the people um, on our various ministry teams. So take some of these resources, look them over, go through them this week. I just want to close briefly with Psalm 131. I put it on the, the front page there. And, um, you know, this has been a busy, hectic, really difficult season for many of us. It can feel very overwhelming um, because the whole world seems to be uh, turned upside down. What can I do? We've given you a few things to focus on this evening that you can be proactive about. Um, and just remember this, Psalm 131. O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. 
that means we can't be prideful. We can't think that we're going to solve the world and occupy ourselves with things that are too marvelous for me. It's not your responsibility to end COVID. It's not your responsibility to fix the political system. It's not your responsibility to, to transform the world. Don't occupy yourself with things that are too high or too marvelous for you. What has God given you? What are the few small things where you can be faithful in ministry, be faithful in mission? So we're frenzied, we're worried, we're overwhelmed. But verse 2 says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And so we just pray and ask that the Lord would calm us and quiet us. That in the midst of everything that we've faced this year, that we would be calm and quiet before the Lord like a weaned child. And here's what I think that means. A little baby that's weaned, sits with his mom and is satisfied, is content, is, is peaceful. All of his or her needs have been met, and he's sitting quietly with the one who loves him, who will take care of him. And so that's where we need to be, calm and quiet before the Lord, not trying to occupy ourselves with things that are too marvelous, but occupying ourselves with, with what we've been given, what we've been called to in your family, in your work, in your ministry, and on mission to the community. So thanks for being with us. Uh, Forward this on to a friend or a ministry team member that couldn't be with us and encourage them to watch it this week. Thanks, guys, and um, God bless.